You have your Bibles with you this morning? Let's open them to Psalm 145 once again. And I see we got the division in front of us this morning. As you know, those of you that have been here the last couple of times I've been sharing, the word of the Lord that came to me for 2022 is the open hand of God. Unusual, extraordinary, and supernatural provision. And this is all going to take place in the middle, right in the midst of more and more disorder and chaos. This world is not going to get any better right away. So if you're thinking, well, all this will be over with before the end of the year, no, it's going to get worse. The Bible prophesies it. So what we need to learn to do is find out what God says about how we can live right in the middle of it and not be troubled by it. And there is a way. Amen. The disciples asked Jesus, what are the signs of the end? And he let them know, the first thing is don't let anybody deceive you. And then the second thing was, see that you be not troubled. And then he talks about all the trouble that will come. And yet he tells us that right in the midst of all this trouble, there is a way to live without being troubled by it. Amen. That's going to take you knowing the Word of God. It's going to take you developing your faith and become unwavering, unmovable, immovable. Amen. Amen. But there is a way. Hallelujah. God has made certain promises to the faithful. And we're going to be talking about those as we keep going along. But there is a way that we can live in the midst of all this disorder and chaos and still live in total victory, praise God. Can you say amen? amen. I think we ought to give the Lord a praise in advance for it. Hallelujah. Now, the open hand of God, we said, is symbolic of provision. Provision. When God opens His hand, it's a reference to provision. And then we know that our God is the supernatural God. He's the extraordinary God. He's the God that can do things in our behalf beyond our comprehension. He has ways that you and I couldn't dream up in a thousand years. Amen. But he's promised to take care of the faithful if they'll just stay in faith. Amen. And not allow everything that's going on around them to shake them. Look at your neighbor and say, I fully intend to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I will not be shaken. Now that's your declaration of faith. Amen. Keep that declaration. Keep it. Now in Psalm 145, verse 14, the Lord upholdeth all that fall and raiseth up all those that be bowed down. The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. Thou openest thine hand. And notice what happens when God opens his hand. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. So 
the open hand of God represents provision. Supernatural, unusual, uncommon, extraordinary provision. Okay? Now, the uh, message translation or or the passion translation in Psalm 104 verse 28 where it says from the King James, Thou openest thine hand and they are filled with good. The Passion Translation says, Each is satisfied from your abundant supply. Your abundant supply. Now, looking back at verse uh, 13, and uh, I'm sorry, verse 15 in Psalm 145, The eyes of all wait upon thee, and thou givest them their meat in due season. The message translation says, expectant, you give them what they need right on time. You give them what they need. The Amplified says, looking, watching, and expecting. That's the key to experiencing supernatural provision. Are you looking for it? Are you watching for it? And are you expecting it? It's a proven fact. You get what you expect, good or bad. Amen. So if that is true, and it is, the Bible says, and we've learned that expectancy is very closely uh, associated to Bible faith. Because real Bible faith expects. It doesn't wonder. It expects. And it's a proven fact, once again, that you get what you expect. Jesus said it this way. Be it unto thee according to your faith or according to your expectancy. How I many of you are expecting right now God is going to provide even in the midst of disorder and chaos? Do you really expect that? Then you should be watching for it. You should be looking for it. Wake up every morning with a smile on your face. No matter what CNN says. No matter what all the other media outlets say. Just wake up with a smile on your face and just say out loud, Lord, today I'm looking, I'm watching, and I'm expecting. Amen. Looking, watching, and expecting. Now, I want to show you some examples this morning. Let's go to the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it. And in verse 1, it says, the burden, chapter 1, the burden which Habakkuk, the prophet, did see. O Lord, how long shall I cry? And thou wilt not hear I even cry out unto thee of violence, thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Now, the book of Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, describes Judah's capital, which is Jerusalem, at an all-time low. Evil 
thrived in the streets, right out in the open. Evil continued, even though it appears to Habakkuk here that God is quiet and he's not doing anything about it. Has anybody ever wondered that about our day? Why is it God doing something? Why is he letting all this happen? Has anybody said that recently? We've all thought it. Why isn't God doing something about all this? Well, that's the same thing was happening in Habakkuk's day. <clears throat> he said, it seems that, that God was silent, but nevertheless, God had a plan. And justice was going to be served. Eventually. Let your neighbor say, eventually. Some people don't like the word eventually. We want it all done right now. Anybody like things done right now? I like things done right now. But for whatever reason, God remained silent while it was all going on. But that doesn't mean he's not doing something. But one thing we know what he's doing, he's laughing. He who sits in the heavens laughs. Don't ever think for one moment that God will allow Satan to get the upper hand. Amen. The Bible even says, referring to, uh, you know, the death of Jesus. It said, had the princes of the world known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now to Satan and his cohorts, it looks like they've won. I mean, they have, they have ushered Jesus right into the bowels of hell itself. There he is taking on the punishment of mankind, beginning with Adam all the way up to the moment that he was buried and went to the cross and so forth. And now he is paying with his life the price of man's transgression. And it looks like to Satan and his cohorts that Satan has won. But all of a sudden, yeah, all of a sudden the Apostle Paul tells us that God was satisfied that the supreme payment had been met. The blood of Jesus had, had covered and done away with man's transgression. And now it was time to raise Jesus up. And when God said enough is enough, there was nothing hell could do to stop what happened next. Right in the bowels of hell itself, Jesus flexed his spiritual muscles and spoiled principalities and powers, made a show of them openly, took the keys of death, hell, and the grave from Satan, and then led all those Old Testament saints out of hell, out of the upper regions of hell called... Abraham's bosom and he led him right into the portals of heaven and David is right up at the front of the line and he's shouting open ye gates and the king of glory will come in amen don't you know hell and its inhabitants were shocked but God knew all along what was going to happen had the princes of this world known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But they didn't know. 
God right now is just allowing the devil to think he's winning again. And he's not. It looks like it, but he's not. Heaven has a plan. Look at your neighbor and say, heaven has a plan. Look at your other neighbor and say, and you're going to like it. (laughs) Amen. Right in the midst of all this disorder and chaos, God is going to open his hand to the faithful. Those who will not be shaken by it. Those who will remain strong. Those who will become immovable in their faith. And he is going to provide for them supernatural, unusual, extraordinary provision. Hallelujah. And let's give him a good shout in advance for it. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let's look at the prayer that Habakkuk or Habakkuk prayed in chapter 3. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Verse 2. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known in wrath. Remember mercy. Now, there's another translation, the uh, God's Word translation that says it this way. In all this chaos, Lord, remember to be merciful. In all this chaos, remember to be merciful. Now, another word for merciful here is favorable in times of distress. God, be favorable to us. During our time of distress. It also implies sparing. In other words, God remembered to be merciful in all this chaos. Be favorable to the faithful and spare them. That's what his prayer was. And did God answer that prayer? Well, God always answers prayer. Maybe not in our timing. But he always comes through. Can you say amen? Now, here's the attitude that you and I need to have. Look at chapter 3 and verse 17. Excuse me. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vine, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat, the flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Now, what is he saying? While I'm waiting for this breakthrough, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to stay in joy. I'm going to stay in faith. I'm going to keep right on rejoicing. If God's laughing in heaven, I'm going to laugh down here on earth. Try it, you'll like it. (laughs) Amen? Why? Because God knows Satan's day is coming. Now, go back to chapter 2. And look at verse 2. And the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision. Make it plain upon tables, that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it will surely come, it will not tarry. 
Now that's the reason that we put up the prophetic word every year so that we have a vision. And what is our vision for 2022? To watch, to look, and to expect the open hand of God. And when we are expecting the open hand of God, we will experience unusual, extraordinary, and supernatural vision. That's our vision. Write it. Keep it in front of you. Amen. I do it every year, whatever the Lord says to me. I, I, I have the art department to come up with uh, things like this, cards like that, that we keep on our desk. I keep in my notebook. I even have bookmarks made with it. The hand of God, expecting, unusual, extraordinary, and uh, uh, supernatural provision. I've got these all over my notebook. I've got them in the airport. I've got them in my office. I've got them in my study. I put them in the mirror in my ba- in my bathroom. Put it in the corner where it fits in the in the frame. Amen. Why? I'm keeping the vision in front of me. I didn't say I'm keeping the television in front of me. The vision. You keep that television in front of you, and you'll lose your vision. It'll produce another vision. Amen. So notice here, write the vision. That's the purpose of putting this up every year. Of whatever that prophetic word is, the reason for putting it up is so we can keep it in front of you so that you may run with it. In other words, so it will motivate you. Keep you focused. I'm focused. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not focusing on all the disorder, and I'm not focusing on all the chaos. I know it's out there. I know it's out there. But that's not where my focus is. My focus is on seeing and expecting the open hand of God. And I will experience... Supernatural, unusual, and extraordinary provision. And it's already happening, praise God. Amen. You don't have to wait till 2022. It's already happening. The moment I get it, I start in on it right then. That's what I'm believing for. That's my vision. Amen. And I'm trusting God that it is going to become something so strong on the inside of you. That nobody can talk you out of it. Can you say amen? amen. All right, now, <clears throat> in 1 Kings chapter 17, there's another story about uh, a, a woman who was experiencing a lot of disorder and chaos in her life. And God sends the prophet Elijah there, and uh, he tells him. That this widow woman is going to take care of you. She's going to sustain you. But when he arrives at where she is, he finds out that she and her son are gathering up a few sticks to make a cake. And she tells the prophet, uh, we're going to eat this and then die. 
Now, it sounds like if you just read it from surface value, looks like the prophet made a mistake or God made a mistake or both. God sent me to the wrong house or I went to the wrong house. It's like I was preaching Brother Copeland out in Anaheim, California a number of years ago. And uh, about three o'clock in the morning, I get a phone call. And usually because we have thousands of people come to those conventions. And uh, I'm about to reveal a secret. But we don't we don't stay in those hotels by our real name. We have to use another name. If you didn't, you'd be up all night long. Call it people call it. And somehow they found out my other name. <laughs> I'm not telling you what it is. I got so tickled at Carolyn one time. She was trying to get a hold of me. She was here and I was up in Detroit and she couldn't remember my other name. <laughs> and she called the front desk and said this name. They said, no, we don't have that person here. She called back and gave another name. No, we don't have that <laughs> I don't know how she finally got a hold of me, but she was a little bit upset. She said, I am so mad at you. What is your name? But anyway, I get this call at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm thinking, who in the world is calling me at 3 in the morning? Mm-hmm. And it was this guy downstairs in the lobby. Are you coming down? I said, no, I'm not coming down. Who is this? Well, I've been waiting on you. I said, who are you? Well, God told me that you were going to pay my house off. Are you going to obey God? I've been waiting here all night. I said, well, sir, you would have thought he would have told me that. I haven't heard anything about that. Well, I'm telling you now. I said, no, uh, you don't tell me. If God told me, I would have already been down there. But I hadn't heard that. You you have come to the wrong house. (laughs) In essence. Okay. Well, it kind of looks like the prophet showed up at the wrong place. God told him in advance, this woman is going to take care of you. Go there. And when he gets there, he finds out that she's kind of on her last leg, so to speak. And she's going to eat that little bit she has left. And then her and her son are going to die. But the prophet says, well, (laughs) make me a little cake first. And I've often said, aren't you glad CNN didn't exist then? Because can't you see it on the news? prophet takes widow woman's last cake and watches her and her son die. That would have been the headlines on CNN. No, because he knew that he had been sent there and that God was going to take care of her. And you know the story. He said, uh, make me a little cake first in obedience. She did that. And then he said, now you go And uh, I'm going to, God is going to do something supernatural, supernatural provision. Have you got there? Let's, let's take a look at it. First Kings chapter 17, verse 13. 
Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make it for thee and for thy son. <clears throat> for thus saith the Lord, God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did, according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So notice supernatural provision. Supernatural provision. It doesn't actually say these words, but we certainly can apply them. God opened his hand and brought about supernatural provision for this widow and her son. And the barrel of meal wasted not. The crucible did not fail until that famine was over with. Amen. Supernatural provision. Now, someone once said, faith in God doesn't necessarily make things easier. It makes things possible. Write that down. Faith in God doesn't necessarily make things easier. But it does make things possible. Amen. Isaiah 41 verse 10 says, Fear not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, for I am thy God. I will strengthen thee. Yea, I will uphold thee with the right hand of my righteousness. The message translation says, don't panic. I'm with you. There's no need to fear, for I'm your God. I'll give you strength. I'll help you. I'll hold you steady. And I'll keep a firm grip on you. Amen. That's what we can expect in times of disorder and chaos. God will keep a firm grip on us. So we don't have to panic. Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 8 says, He will not fail thee, neither forsake thee. Fear not, neither be dismayed. The message translation says, He won't let you down. He won't leave you. Don't be intimidated and don't worry. Don't be intimidated and don't worry. And then John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And the Passion Translation says, Don't yield to fear, or be troubled in your hearts. Instead, be courageous. So notice, every time... There is adversity, chaos, and disorder. It seems that God's instructions are always the same. Don't fear. Don't panic. Don't be dismayed. Don't give up. Don't quit. Stay in faith. And that's still the answer today. Can you say amen? amen. Now let's go to Psalm 31 for a moment. Psalm 31.
Look at verse 24. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all ye that hope in the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart, all that you, all of you who hope in the Lord. Now, notice also verse 23. Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints, for the Lord preserveth the faithful. And plentiful rewardeth the proud doer. Another translation, the passage translation says, The Lord protects and preserves all those who are loyal to Him. Verse 24 from the passion translation says, So cheer up. So cheer up. Does that sound like God is deeply concerned? About all this chaos and disorder? No, once again, he who sits in the heavens laughs. Why? Because he knows it's just a matter of time. And he already has plans for the faithful. I will provide. Supernaturally. Extraordinarily. Unusually, I will provide. And don't limit him to how he's met your needs in days past. Because he has ways, like I said earlier, that you couldn't dream up in a thousand years. Amen. Don't, don't look to the same person that he used the last time. They may not have heard anything about doing it again. So don't make them your source. Amen. I said to Brother Copeland years ago, right after the Lord instructed me to launch out into my own ministry, I'd been working with him as his associate minister, preaching his morning services, traveling all over the world with him. And the Lord said, now it's time for you to launch out into your own ministry. And he said, and you tell Brother Copeland that you do not want him calling preachers and inviting you to come. Now, that, that would have been easy to do because I knew Brother Copeland's feelings about me and how he loved me and respected me. In fact, he even said when I announced to him, we were flying back from Long Beach, California, just finished a meeting. And uh, we're setting up in the cockpit of his airplane. And when he reached his cruising altitude, he turned to me and said, when are you leaving? I said, well, I told the Lord I was not going to leave until he spoke to you first. He said, well, I know it's God. I don't want it to happen, but I know it's God, and I'm not going to interfere with that. And he said, now, when are you leaving? I said, well, I made a decision that at the end of this year, this was October, at the end of this year, I will launch out into my own ministry, January the 1st. And I said, now, during the month of December, I don't want you to pay me at all. He said, why not? I said, because after December the 31st, I won't have a check from Kenneth Copeland Evangelistic Association to look forward to. So I might as well get a month in advance believing God beyond 
what you do for me. He said, well, I never heard anything like that. I said, well, that's, that's what I'm going to do. I don't want you calling anybody and telling them to invite me to speak. And I don't want you to pay me for the last month that I work for you. Now, I will give you 150%, but I don't want you to pay me. He said, okay, that's the way you want it. Now, he would have been willing to call people and say, Jerry Svell is now available. Uh, he's launching out in his own ministry. And uh, please invite him to come. Oh, my calendar would have filled up. And it would have been very easy to just go ahead and get paid for the end of the year, till the end of the year. He would have been willing to do that. But the Lord said, no, I'll prove to you I can take care of you. So, December the 1st, I'm cut off from a paycheck. Okay? Now, I had a meeting in Hot Springs, Arkansas. My own meeting on the weekend where it didn't interfere with anything I was doing with Brother Copa. And got up there in that meeting and uh, I met someone and I don't mind telling you his name, is Charles Capps. His daughter, Annette, was in the service. And she said to me, you sound a lot like my daddy. I said, well, who's your daddy? She said, well, not many people know him, but someday they will know him. Because he preaches just like you, just like Brother Copeland, just like Brother Hagin. I said, well, what's your daddy's name? She said, Charles Capps. She said, if I invite him and mom to come tomorrow night, you think you might could have dinner with us? I said, probably so. So they came. Now, Charles was still full-time farming, just launching out into his teaching ministry. And we went to dinner after the service. And she was right. Charles and I talked the same language. We became immediate friends. I mean, it's like we'd known each other all our lives. And so, shortly after that, he asked me if I would come to England, Arkansas, where he lived. He said, uh, I, I belong to an Assembly of God church most of my life. And he said, and I've been endeavoring to teach faith in this church. And he said, and I'm having a hard time getting the people to, to listen to me. And he said, uh, some of them have got it, some of them haven't, because they're steeped in tradition. He said, would you consider coming in and preaching if I asked the pastor to, if I could invite you to come? I said, sure. So he asked me to come. Now, this was like two weeks before the end of the year. Okay? So I get there, and I'm supposed to preach three or four nights. <clears throat> and... Uh, Pastor didn't like me at all. <laughs> he did not like me at all. In fact, he wouldn't even stay in the service. He would introduce me and get up, him and his wife would get up and walk out. And I'd never see him again until tomorrow night. Then the next night, they did the same thing. Introduced me, got up and walked out. But the third night, he said... This preacher, I thought he was just a little smart aleck. Didn't know anything about the Bible. Made me some mad. He said, I went home every night, some mad at him. And finally, last night, I started reading the Bible and found out everything he said was so. 
He said, and I apologize to you, Brother Savelle. And he said, my wife and I got up last night out of bed and we had a book burning. We burned all our religious material. Amen. And boy, we had a move of God then. I mean, it was amazing. I think I stayed another two or three nights. So anyway, I'm getting ready to come back home. And now I'm two weeks away from launching into my own ministry, okay? This is my vacation time. I did that meeting. And so uh, uh, Charles escorts me out of town, which getting out of England, Arkansas is not that hard. But, you know, <laughs> but anyway, he, he wanted to take me to Little Rock. And how many of you remember eight track days? And cassette days. Okay, well, he had some cassette tapes of some messages he preached that he wanted me to listen to driving back to Fort Worth. He said, you have a cassette player in your car? And I said, no. He said, follow me. So he took me to this place that he knew a man, and that's what he did. He installed cassette players and eight tracks and all that stuff. And he installed one and gave me these messages that he had preached on faith. So I could listen to them all the way back home. Okay, And then just after he got that done, uh, we had a bite of lunch, and then uh, I was ready to come back to Fort Worth. He said, now, uh, Peggy and I were praying last night, and the Lord told us to give you our tithe from some crops we just sold. And he said, so I want to give you this check for $5,000. Okay? Gave me a check for $5,000. Okay? Now, $5,000 in 1973? That'd be like 50000 today, you know? So I'm coming back home, and I just received more money than Brother Copeland would have paid me that month. Okay? Then when I get back home, A man that I knew had an office, and he was retiring, but he still had a one-year lease on that office, and he called me. He said, if you'll take over the lease of this office, I will pay for it for the rest of the year, and I'll give you all the equipment, all the furniture that's in it. Amen. So December the 31st, I walked out of Brother Copeland's office and walked into my fully furnished office. Amen. He left, he left everything. He left paper clips. He left pens and pencils, staplers, notebooks, everything. Fully furnished office. And it's paid for for one year. And then I was given a cassette duplicating machine. So I could duplicate my messages. Okay? When I started off January the 1st, I had more money in the bank than I would have made the whole year working for Brother Copeland. And everything paid for. God supernaturally. See, this is what I call... Divine acceleration. And this is what I call 
unstoppable momentum. I had it. You ever seen that commercial with this, this rich guy sitting in his living room and he's got this pet giraffe? And he says, opulence, I has it. <laughs> well, supernatural provision, I has it <laughs> from day one. That's how I launched this ministry. Amen. Day one. Well, if God started me out that way, why wouldn't he continue that way? Amen. He's been doing the supernatural, the extraordinary, the unusual in my life for 52 years. Amen. And as you've heard me say it many times before, he's no respecter of persons. But it is impossible to please him without faith. So just stay in faith. See, I had no idea when I told Brother Copeland, don't ask anybody, don't call anybody and ask them to give me a place to preach. You see, what I wanted, I didn't want to have to deal with for the rest of my life. If it hadn't been for Kenneth Copeland calling people and getting meetings for me, I would have never made it. No, the Lord told me before I even moved to Fort Worth, showed me a verse in the Bible. And he said, this is what you'll build your ministry on. He said, a man's gift will make room for him and bring him before great men. He said, if you'll find out what your gift is and cultivate it, protect it, you will never have to ask for a place to preach. You'll never have to beg for a dime. And I've watched that come to pass all the year. I've been privileged to preach what I consider to be the greatest men and women of our generation. And I never had to promote myself. God did it. Amen. God did it. Hallelujah. Praise God. There was, there was one guy that said, I'm believing for the job that you had with Brother Copeland. I said, well, sir, that job doesn't exist anymore. It takes 500 people to fulfill that role now. <laughs> now, look at Psalm 31, 23 once again. The Lord preserveth the faithful. The Passion Translation, the Lord protects and preserves all those who are loyal to Him. So cheer up. Cheer up. Put a smile on your face. Hold your head up high. Make people wonder what you're thinking. <laughs> Make people wonder what you know that they don't know. Cheer up. Come on, look at your neighbor and smile real big and say, Cheer up. Maybe your favorite song should become, Don't Worry, Be Happy. Don't worry, be happy. Cheer up. God's got it all under control. It goes on to say, Take courage, all you who love Him. Wait for Him to break through for you. Amen. Psalm eighty-nine, thirty-three. I will not suffer my faithfulness to fail. 
I will not suffer my faithfulness to fail. The message translation says, I'll faithfully do all that I solemnly promised. Earlier in that same psalm, well, let's go to it, Psalm 89. Look at the King James, verse 33. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that has gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. Now, you could say the same thing for us, because we are the righteousness of God today. We're the seed of Abraham today. And God will not break his covenant, nor alter the thing that has come from his lips. And once God has sworn to us, he will not lie. Can you say amen? The uh, message translation says, I'll keep my hand steadily on you, and I'll stick with you through thick and thin. No enemy will get the best of you. Hallelujah. No enemy will get the best of you. Sounds like to me God has got it all figured out in the middle of all this disorder and chaos. Look at your neighbor and say, just go with the program. Go with the program. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, probably next, the next time I speak will be uh, December 19th, I think. We're, we're going to get into this divine acceleration and unstoppable momentum. I has it. <laughs> now, let's, let's look at something that's very important here before we uh, close the service today. Or turn it, Pastor Justin. Go with me to Second um, Corinthians. In chapter 9. Now, I want to remind you that one of the most important things you do during this time, and this, this goes for any time, but especially in times like these, is you keep looking and watching and expecting. Looking, watching, and expecting. And then... Don't ever stop sowing. Don't ever stop sowing. Even if you're like the little widow woman with just a couple of mites, don't stop sowing. Because if you stop sowing, you cut yourself off from the supernatural. You've heard the story Brother Copeland tells when he was working for Brother Roberts in those early days. And uh, he was in a crusade with Brother Roberts. And Brother Roberts talked about partnership in his ministry. Brother Copeland wanted to be a partner. He didn't have a dime. He and Gloria were just existing. 
And uh, he wanted to be a partner. So he raised his hand in faith for an envelope. The usher came by and gave him an envelope. Now, Brother Copeland was part of the evangelistic team. He was co-pilot on Brother Roberts' airplane. And Brother Roberts was was leaving the building as the ushers uh, were passing out the the envelopes. And Brother Copeland was also the driver of the car to get to the airport. So he didn't have a whole lot of time, you know, but he wanted to be a partner. So he raised his hand and they gave him the envelope and it had a little card in there that you could fill out. And it had a little pencil in it, a little wooden pencil in there. They used to do that in a lot of churches. Put a little pencil in the envelope for your convenience. So he wrote his name on there real quick, Kenneth Copeland, and, and his address in Tulsa. And put the pencil back in the envelope. And that's all he had. He said, well, this pencil is mine. And that's all I have. I don't have any money. But I'm putting that pencil in there in faith. And, and, and Brother Roberts was asking people to sign up as a partner for $10 a month. He didn't have $10. So he put the pencil in the envelope and put it in the offering container. As he was walking out to get ahead of Brother Roberts to get him to the car, a lady shouted at him. And she said, hey, you. Hey, you. And finally he realized it may be somebody calling to his attention. So he turned around and she said, yeah, you. And he said, her exact words were, God been worry-warding me this whole service to give you $10. Here. He reached up and grabbed that $10, chased the usher down, got his envelope out, and put the $10 in the envelope and put the pencil back in his pocket. Okay? When he got home, he told Gloria, Gloria, we're partners with Oral Roberts. She said, what? She said, we're partners with Oral Roberts. For $10 a month. She said, Kenneth, where in the world are we going to get $10 a month? We can barely get groceries. Where are you going to get $10 a month? He said, I realized she wasn't in the service. She didn't hear the message. So I said, sit down, girl. Let me preach the message to you. (laughs) And he sat down and preached it as best as he could, just like Oral Roberts did. Okay? And she said, he said, Oral Roberts showed me in the Bible. Not only are we going to be his partner and he's going to pray for us every day as a partner, but he showed me in Philippians chapter 4 that we can be a partaker of his anointing for $10 a month. (laughs) He said, isn't that good, Gloria? He said, yeah, but what are we going to get $10 a month? But God provided. Amen. Amen. God provide. Now, that happened two years before I joined the Copelands. That happened in 1967. I joined them in 69. Well, I, I, it was him coming to Shreveport where I first met him in 69. Only been in the ministry two years. But I had already seen in that two years how God had blessed them. How God had increased them. How that God had divinely provided for them. Amen. Then when I moved here and went to work with him, then I got to see it even more firsthand. 
I mean, they, they, he went nowhere without Jerry Savelle in those early days. It was Kenneth Copeland, Gloria Copeland, Jerry Savelle. In fact, when, when, when person asked, uh, one young girl asked Gloria one time, said, uh, where's Jerry Copeland? <laughs> she said, Jerry Copeland? She said, yeah, you know, you're a big boy. <laughs> she thought I was Gloria's son. <laughs> they asked Brother Copeland one time, said, where's your son, Jerry? He said, he's not my son. I'd have had to have him when I was 10 years old. <laughs> said, but yeah, he is my son in the Lord. Okay. But we got to watch. Caroline got to watch what that partnership did. That one act of faith. Yes, sir. But they continued it. That one act of faith began the supernatural provision. Continuing it made it happen continually. Amen. Giving is not something you do one time. And it's not something you do because you got inspired by a message one time. It's got to be lifestyle. Lifestyle. Carol and I started giving when we didn't have anything to give. We were in the same boat they were in. Their boat was just a little bigger. <laughs> but we, we started giving when we had nothing to give in the natural. I sold Coke bottles. Or took Coke bottles to the store where you got two cents for the deposit on it. Just so I could have money for milk for the babies and some left over to sow into church. But we sold to it. We were never going to stop sowing. In fact, I said to the Lord one time, I just want to see what you would do for someone who refuses to miss an offering. I endeavor to sow something in every offering. I, I bring my check ahead of me. I don't sit in a service and say, oh, should I or should I not? Oh, I don't know if I can afford it this week. I would skip Starbucks. You can afford Starbucks. You can afford to sow unto God. It's not going to hurt you to miss the Starbucks. But it will hurt you to get cut off from the supernatural. Starbucks ain't worth it. I don't even like it anyway. It's too bitter. That's just my own personal opinion. But nevertheless, I am not going to stop sowing Just so I can have something satisfying for the moment. Okay, I disturbed everybody, so let's go on. <laughs> I know you're all headed to Starbucks when I get through. Now look at Second Corinthians chapter 9. You know this, but... I want you to see it for yourself. Watching, looking, and expecting. That's the number one key to experiencing the hand of God being opened unto you for unusual, supernatural, extraordinary provision. And then 
this most important key. Never, never stop sowing. Look at verse 8. Well, let's back up to verse 6. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his heart, so let him give. Now notice it starts with a purpose in the heart. That's what Brother Copeland calls a quality decision. You have to purpose in your heart first. If you you don't purpose in your heart, then you won't follow through. Good intentions, they're wonderful, but it's not what brings results. Amen? I have good intentions every morning to work out. (laughs) I have a gym in my home. It's between the living room and my study. I can't even pass it. I can't get to my study where I hang out most of the time without walking past that gym. (laughs) See you tomorrow. Don't laugh at me. Some of you do the same thing. Uh, Maybe not tomorrow, but the next day. Good intentions. They're wonderful. But they don't get the fat off of you. (laughs) They don't slim you down. Amen. Man, I'm digging the hole deeper and deeper and deeper. (laughs) Every man let him purpose in his heart. So let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity. God loveth a cheerful giver. In other words, don't look at giving as an obligation, a religious obligation. You're missing the point. I love what I learned from Oral Roberts 40-something years ago. He said, tithing is not a debt that I owe, but a seed that I sow. Amen. Don't look at tithing as a debt that you owe. It was under the old covenant. But look at it as a seed that you sow. Amen. It's not a religious obligation. A privilege. That's what I consider it to be. A privilege. Because I remember when I couldn't write checks like this. But I can today. Because of tithing. Because of giving. Lifestyle giving. Hallelujah. Amen. But when we first started, it certainly wasn't anything like... In fact, it was so small you didn't even have to write a check for it. (laughs) Amen. But we started and we kept at it. Now listen to this. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now listen to the Passion Translation. Yes, God is more than ready 
to overwhelm you with every form of grace. Sit up there. So that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way, He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. Hallelujah. Now, I want you to notice 2 Corinthians 9, 8, the Passion Translation, not 2 Jerry. I'm reading from the Bible. Let's read it again. Everybody read it out loud. Yes, God is more than ready to overwhelm you with every form of grace so that you will have more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way, He will make you overflow with abundance in every good thing you do. And notice, notice there's not in parentheses, unless you're living in the day in which you're living. Unless you're going through a pandemic. Unless there's more disorder disorder and chaos. Doesn't say that at all. In fact, he, you will have more than enough of everything in every moment. That would include times like this. Now that's God's promise. Amen. That's God's promise to us. Abundant overflow. Supernatural provision. Another translation says, having all sufficiency in all things, all the time. Another translation says, at all times. The New Living Translation says, you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Hallelujah. Now that's where it gets exciting, praise God. Amen. Can you imagine living in times like this where you will have plenty left over? All your needs are taken care of and plenty left over to help other people in need. Amen. That's God's plan. That's God's best. And who's he talking to? Givers and sowers. Faithful givers and sowers. Not everyone can claim this promise. It's for faithful sowers and givers. It's the same with Philippians 4.19. I hear people confessing, My God shall supply all my need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. But that was to partners, faithful partners. Amen. I'm sure glad you're enjoying this today. I'm trying to help you. Now listen to it. Christians who are consistently generous are convinced that their God will provide. God never intended for giving to be treated as an obligation but a privilege. He wants us to practice giving from a grateful and a willing and a cheerful heart. Remember Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9, 7 from the Amplified, God loves, he takes pleasure in, prizes above other things, and is unwilling to abandon or to do without a cheerful, joyous, 
prompt to do it, giver whose heart is in his giving. See, that's, that's my assurance that no matter how bad it gets in the world I live in, God's got me covered. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Amen. God's got me covered. Why? Because I'm that person he's talking about. Are you one of those people he's talking about? Then cheer up. <laughs> Amen. Why worry? If you are one of these people he's talking about, then praise God, you don't have to be concerned. You don't have to fret. You don't have to try to figure it all out by yourself. God's got it figured out for you. Amen. Just practice doing the Bible. Be a doer of the word. Can you say amen? Now, let's go to Proverbs 11 very quickly. Proverbs 11. Verse 24. There is that scattereth and yet increaseth. And there is that withholdeth more than his meat, but it tendeth to poverty. The liberal soul shall be made fat, and he that watereth shall be watered also himself. The word fat in the Hebrew is prosperous. Notice, he that scattereth increaseth. The Amplified says... uh, talks about generosity, giving generously. The Passion Translation says, generosity brings prosperity. The Message Translation says, and listen to this, the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. (laughs) Amen? My world's getting bigger. How about yours? God rewards generosity. Verse 25 from the message translation says, The one who sows, or the one who blesses others, is abundantly blessed. Amen. And then 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10, back in 2 Corinthians 9, it says from the Amplified Bible, When you are a generous sower, And you're a cheerful giver. Then God will not only multiply your seed sown. But he'll also increase and multiply your resources for sowing. Amen. Increase your resources for sowing. I just looked over our financial statements. They're not quite finished because we haven't reached the end of the year. And we have already through JSMI sown more I won't tell you the figure but more than we sowed in the last two years hallelujah why? because God has increased our resources for sowing hallelujah amen I'm just I'm just sharing that if it'll work for me it'll work for you But you have to make some decisions that you won't back off of. You can't, you can't say, I'm going to do this and then get home 
turn on CNN and see it's getting worse and then wish you hadn't made that commitment. No, that's just like, you know, me saying I'm going to get up in the morning and work out. And then I see on TV, oh, lemon pie, (laughs) coconut cream. Ah, let's wait till next week. No, you have to make a commitment and stick with it. Sewing, lifestyle sewing. Amen. The message translation for 2 Corinthians 9, 10 says, He will He will give you more than He will be more than extravagant with you, so that you can be generous in every way. And then the Passion Translation says, You will have more than enough of everything, every moment, and in every way. Can you say amen? Amen. God wants to open His hand. Right in the middle of all this disorder and chaos. And prove that He is still the God in whom nothing is impossible. He's still El Shaddai. He's still Jehovah Jireh. Amen. He's the God who blesses us exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could possibly ask or think. Can you say amen? You receive that today? Lift both hands and say, Lord, I receive it. I'm not a hearer only. I'm a doer of the word. In the name of Jesus, I will begin applying what I've heard and stick with it. And I'm expecting your hand to be open to me in the middle of all this disorder and all this chaos. And I will be abundantly supplied. Even if it has to come supernaturally, extraordinarily, and unusually. You're the God that can make it happen. And give him a great shout of praise. Hallelujah. Amen, amen. Praise God.